If you don't and you would like one, you can just raise your hand and let our ushers know. They'll give you a copy of the NLT translation for you to have and to keep and hopefully to enjoy. And we'll study this together this morning. We're in our series in the book of Romans called Made Right for the very thing that, again, Larry was praying that uh, it's Jesus who makes us right. It's what we celebrate in communion today, amen, that, that Jesus came down from heaven, took my sin, your sin, in his own body, and he took it to the cross and he nailed it there. And right before he gave up the ghost, he said, it is finished. The work of your salvation, my salvation was complete upon the cross to all who would receive him and believe by faith in what he accomplished for us. And so much to uh, celebrate today. The text is uh, Romans chapter 14, verses one through six. And I titled this morning's message, let me take my gum out. I was going, I gotta figure out a way to do this on the slide, but it's not gonna happen. So it just went, <laughs> but no, the things we should do for love, the things that we should do for love. And, and it's interesting, you know, as, as we started this, before we read the text, uh, just again, to remind you, you know, that we're in this last section, you know, I, I told you, if you, if you just take the book of Romans and you want to break it into just simple kind of where bite-sized pieces understand, you know, that the first three chapters, you know, deal with the wrath of God, right? It just lays out why judgment, why hell, why, why, you know, what have we done? And the Bible is very clear that uh, all have what? Sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And so it moves from the wrath of God into the grace of God. Like I've been sharing with you, before you have good news, you got to understand the bad news. And that's what Paul lays out. And then he gets into the grace of God, which I just shared. He said, you know, that the wages of sin is death, but there's a big word there. It's but, but the gift of God, the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus. So Paul takes us from the wrath of God to the grace of God. And then really interesting in chapters uh, 9, 10, and 11, he focuses on the plan of God. And, and he kind of takes the whole Bible from Old Testament and New, and he lays it out that God began his whole plan with, with creation. And in our failure, you know, then God in his redemptive plan chose uh, Abraham and the nation of Israel to bring forth the Messiah who would redeem us and restore us back to God. And in that, you know, that there, God has a plan. So for many who think that God is done with Israel, I mean, you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, you'll learn real quick that no, he's not. He's got a wonderful plan for Israel. And he has a plan for us as well. And so those three little chapters encapsulate a lot with regard to the entirety of scripture. And then it moves into chapters 12 through the, the remainder of uh, Romans. And it's the will of God. And, and like I said, I, I love when people go, Pastor Mike, I, I, I want, do you, could you help me understand what God's will is for my life? I go, it's right there in scripture. Just read Romans chapter 12, you know, through 16, and you'll, you'll see God's will for your life. And that will that he tells us, and, and Larry, again, alluding to what he was praying, you know, he said that the natural thing that you and I would do when we comprehend what Jesus has done for us, the, the, I mean, it's just... In, in the Greek language, it, it means the logical thing. The most logical thing that you and I could do is to give ourselves to God as a living sacrifice and then seek to be holy and pleasing to him. That means that he would be preeminent in, in our thought process in our lives. And then he lays out piece by piece on what that would look like to walk in the will of God. And, and to, like I said, to simplify it, 
You just go back to what Jesus said. You could fulfill, he said, all the law and the prophets in just doing two things, right? And those two things, what we see in the Old Testament in the Ten Commandments, Jesus, you know, brings to fruition in his own life and then brings really to our knowledge and understanding two things. He said, love God, love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. What do you say? With every fiber of your being, just, just seek to love God. And then secondly, he said, what flows out of that, when you love God, you will naturally not, it won't be difficult you will naturally begin to love people. And so Paul lays that out for us really clearly there in Romans chapter 12. Because when you give yourself to God, what does God give to you? He gives you gifts. Like I said, the beauty of the body of Christ is every one of you who has received Christ has a spiritual gift that God wants to use to build up other people. The gifts aren't for ourselves. They're, they're for one another. They're for the body of Christ. And with that then, Love becomes personified in the relationships that we enjoy within the church. And then Paul went, and then it's those that are outside the church. And then he, remember, he took it even to the fullest extent that we were called to love even our enemies with that same kind of love. And I was telling you, man, I, I, Lord, that's impossible until what? Until I throw myself on the altar of God. And, and I realized that, you know, I can't do it, but I can do all things what? through Christ who strengthens me. So Paul just keeps bringing this, this back to us. And then he got into chapter 13 there and he talked about, you know, that how love you know, is realized in the way that we live uh, with regard to authorities in our life, whether that be the government, that be, you know, your employers and, you know, it could be, you know, pastors in a church. I mean, those that are in authority over us, especially the government though, in particular. And then he talked about you know, taxes and then paying the things that we owe because that's what love does. Love, love doesn't seek to take things from people. Love seeks to what? To give. goes back to the essence of John three sixteen, right? For God, what? So love the world. He, he gave. Yeah. He gave his only begotten son. That, that's what, that's what love does. Love seeks to give. And then he just continues it on. It doesn't stop there. Now he just continues to take it forward and go, what does that look like, you know, in relationships? And especially, you know, as, as you move forward here, you know, in chapter 14, you know, he's not wanting us to be conformed. And this is really interesting to me because it goes back to chapter 12, verses one and two again. You know, remember when Paul said, be not conformed to this world, right? Don't, don't, and I, in, in the Greek language means don't let the world, what, squeeze you in, Right. And that's what the world's trying to do. But to be transformed by the changing of your mind, right? The renewing of your mind. That we begin to think the way that God would have us think, right? And so now in, in chapter 14, now he brings that same, that same thought. I mean, none of us, you know, would want, want God to, um, you know, approach us from the standpoint and go, you know, she wants to stay in the service. It's like... Yeah, it's like, <laughs> that's right, yeah, yeah, that's what we have, that's why we, we've got so many good rooms though, we've got the mother's room, we've got family room, we've got the car with FM, roll the windows up, you can turn this, we got it all, yeah. No, but so the thing that, that I want you to think about, you know, with this in, in Paul's going, you, you don't want when people try to squeeze you in, right? 
no, nobody wants to be squeezed in by somebody else. We, we want freedom. We want liberties. I mean, we see all these things, things that happened under COVID and just, you know, made the, the hair in the back of our neck bristle that people were seeking to take away our freedoms and our liberties. And that gets our attention really quick. And Paul's going, you, you, you get it. You understand it. The same way that you, you don't want people to do that to you. Chapter 14, it starts in ch verse 1 of 14, goes all the way to verse 14 of chapter 15. And basically he's going this. Well, Jesus said it. He's going, you know, to love one another, you know, and to treat other people the way that what? You'd want people to treat you, right? And that, that's really the essence, you know, of, of chapter 14. Let's pray. You can go home. No. Um, but... But that's that's what he's that's what he's drawing out here. He wants us to understand that that if you don't like people to try to squeeze you into their mold, why are you trying to squeeze other people into your mold? And guess what? We all do it because it's called prejudice. You know, it's it's called you know that I think my way is the right way. It's like you know I, I tell you know Mike and Jason all the time. We have discussions throughout the week and. I said, you know, if I wanted your opinion, I'd give it to you. That's one of the things I tell them. And then I go, and if I agreed with you guys, we'd all be wrong. So I, you know, so it's just things that we have, you know, we're talking, we're just kidding, you know, back and forth. But we, but we all understand that, you know, that, that we understand that in, I, again, a great book, you know, I always love it. And I had a conversation with a brother just a couple of weeks ago. I, he, he said, you know, Pastor Mike, I, I picked up that book that you recommended a few times accidental Pharisee. And he goes, and I started reading it and he goes, and first he goes, I was going, this isn't me. This isn't me. Why did he recommend this book? You know, he's being honest with me. He's like, man, ooh, you don't always have to tell me all the ugliness that's in your heart. Just tell me the good parts, you know, but, but he's like, and then he all said, he goes, and I started, I read it. What I went back and read it and eh, maybe it is me. He goes about the third time he goes, it is me. <laughs> you know, it's sometimes, it just, sometimes it, you know, it's hard because there is, there's a Pharisee that lives inside of all of our hearts. You know, we, we like what we like. And, and when other people don't like necessarily what we like, I like that expression is, you know, people aren't what they're not up on, they're down on. Right. And there's, there's a truth in that. And to a certain degree in all of our lives. And so in this, you know, Paul just wants to draw this out on what it's like um, and how should we respond to one another and we'll pick it up here in, in verse 1. Let's read Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 6 together. And we'll just take a moment and pray. Uh, Paul says this. He says, except, and I'm reading from the NLT, um, except other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything. Amen. I like that guy. But another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't, and those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone's servants? Their own master will judge them whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think that every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it in honor of him. And those who eat any kind of food do so in honor of the Lord since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. 
And, you know, and the thing that's interesting in that, you know, before we pray, is Paul's not talking about sin here, okay? He's, he's not mentioning sin at all. We, we are to confront sin and, and we're to confront it in one another's lives. He's not taught, this isn't sin. These, these are things that he says are debatable. Um, and there's some two, two things I want you to think about with this. It's, it's the, the word uh, essential and then non-essential. And, and I'm going to cover that for you, but I just wanted to throw that out there to you. But let's, let's pray because this is, this is a, a, a portion of text. Like I said, the whole book of Romans you can't read this book and, and it not spark some revival within your own heart that you go, God, I, this is the, I want to live like this. I want to love like you love, but I recognize, you know, that in my flesh dwells no good thing. Uh, you know, I, I, I get, you know, everything that Paul's saying here and, and have to receive it for myself and go, God, you know, I, I need you to transform me. And he does that. And that's a great thing to pray today is that, God, you know, as we read your word, I, I'm saying amen to it. When we say amen, what we're saying is, Lord, so be it. So be your word. Not amen, you know, that's just like the tag at the end of, you know, the, the, the thought. But that we're agreeing with God and we agree with his word and, and his word is good. And, and he wants to change us and he wants to transform us. I, I love that expression, you know, that he loves you just the way that you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. And to be willing to change. And so let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And just thank you for this church. Lord, I know that uh, they love you. And they want so much, Lord, to be not conformed into any other image than the image of Jesus. But, Lord, we want to be transformed, changed. That, Lord, we know what we believe. We know why we believe it. Our convictions are based upon your word and what we do in our life. And so, uh, Lord, affirm those things in the areas of our life where we're off. God, we just pray that you'd shine light on it today. Thank you that your light isn't heat. Uh, Lord, it's, it, light is illumination. That, God, you're, you're illuminating. You're a God of revelation. And, Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'd make your word known to us today. That, Lord, we might walk in it effectively. That, uh, Lord, you would be glorified in it. And the people, Lord, that we serve and come in contact with would be edified. And we pray that today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, here in verse 1, he says, Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Is that pretty simple? Pretty straightforward, right? You know, when you read that. So he's saying this whole text, you know, that we begin with is accept people into fellowship. You know, receive other believers is what he's talking about. He's not saying non-believers. He's talking about believers. Remember, this is a letter written to the church not to the world, okay? This is, this is for us. And he's writing to the strong person here. He's not writing to the weak per se. He's writing to the strong believer. And, and he's saying, you know, just don't, you know, to you guys that are strong in your faith, is don't argue about dumb stuff. And then he's going to tell us what some of the dumb stuff is. He just said it, right? Some of the dumb stuff that we argue about is what? What day to go to church on? Another thing that we argue about is what should we eat or what should we not eat? So really simply, the reason that they struggled, you know, obviously with the day of the week is because in the Old Testament, the Jews worshiped on, on the Sabbath. And in the New Testament, you know, it's not that the Sabbath, you know, people go, when did they eliminate the Sabbath? They didn't. The Sabbath is still Saturday. God said, keep the Sabbath holy. But he also said, let every day be holy, right? But the day that you would worship, you know, so if you believe that it was Saturday, he's going to then worship on Saturday. You see in the, in the New Testament, though, and, and when Jesus, understand this, when Jesus 
shared the Ten Commandments, there was one commandment that he didn't teach. And that was to keep the Sabbath holy. So when you look at that, you don't see him going, well, um, you know, as he expressed them, he didn't ever share, hey, well, the goal is to keep the Sabbath holy. Because something had changed. Every day is supposed to be holy in God, right? But he's going, but if your conviction is to worship God on Saturday, then worship God on Saturday. But that was why, because in the calendar, what was the seventh day? It was the end of the week, right? And on the end of the week, according to what we see in scripture, on the seventh day, God did what? He rested, right? That didn't change. That's still good. You know, what's that old expression? He who burns the candle at both, both ends has a short wick, right? You need rest. You, you need refreshment. You need recreation. That's what we call recreation. Recreational activities are recreation. You recreate yourself by doing that. And then some people worship on Sunday and you go, why did they do that? Well, the church did, obviously, because that was the day that the Lord was raised from the dead. They, they chose that day because that was the day. That was the, the first day of, of the week. And Paul said on the first day of the week, he, so Paul affirms that on the first day of the week, he told the church to do what? To set aside some resource, some financial resource to take care of the church. You know, so and then you know, in the book of Acts, same thing. It says Paul on the first day of the week, I think it's Acts chapter 10, you know, goes into a house and he reasons, you know, with the people. And it says, and then Paul preached, you know, um, and I love that verse. He preached from noon to like midnight, you know? Yeah. So I mean, you guys are, Hey, I'm going, Hey, Hey, you want the apostle Paul? Okay. He's, we're going to be here till midnight. You know, no, you go, but, but he's going, what, what are we, what are we doing here? He's going, you know, you're, you're, you're choosing one day over another and, and God never did in that regard. We're to keep every day holy unto the Lord. It's not that we, oh, I went to church on Sunday. See, that's religion, right? Where the Bible says the mercies of God are new, what? Every Sunday? No, they're new every morning, right? And, and Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews says, and, and because the veil has been torn, we now have access into the most holy place that we can come when. He says, boldly, when? Whenever we have a need. Do you only have a need on Sunday? You know? No, we have a need every single day. Every, you know, think about this. We're not limited to one day a year, one moment in time. We can come 24-7, right? We can always approach God. And then the other was with regard to food, obviously, because what was taking place there was food that was offered to idols, right? So they, you know, some people you know, would offer food to idols. And then, you know, <laughs> I got to love it because even the church, it's a wonderful thing. People go, you know, so... Okay, you, you offered that, that food to idols. So how much are you going to sell it for? They go, well, we got to sell it for cheaper because, you know, these guys won't buy it because it's been offered to, you know, sacrificed to an idol. I'll buy it. And they go, why? And they go, because they knew that an idol was nothing, right? They didn't care. They were just like, they were looking for a good deal. And they, and they had a conscience that was okay with that. And Paul, he, doesn't, he didn't say it was sin. See, again, we're not talking about sin here. We're talking about conviction. That they knew that, you know, offering that to an idol was dumb. Why? Because they're false. I mean, the idol didn't eat the meat. Somebody's got to eat it. So they're going, hey, I'll take it. Instead of paying $12 a pound, you pay 50 cents a pound. You go, great, that's awesome. And then some go, I can't do it. I can't do it. And, and Paul's going, that's okay. If you can't do it, if you have the conviction that you can't do it, don't do it. Pay the 12 bucks. And you're not in sin for doing that because that's your conviction. Do you get that? 
That, that's, that's what he's referencing here. That's what he's talking about. I love that. You know, it says the word accept there. The New King James, you know, says to receive. The ESV translation says to welcome. Uh, the Passion translation says offer an open hand of fellowship. So what's the idea here? You know, like I said, it's quit arguing about dumb stuff. Stuff that, you know, a hundred years from now, is it going to matter? You know, it's kind of one of the ways you think about, you know, 10 minutes from now, is it really going to matter? But what is Paul saying? But start accepting each other. Start welcoming each other. Start opening your hand and fellowship to one another. And he's talking about believers. You know, look at all the different denominations, you know, that are out there that we split hairs over all kinds of things. You know, like, oh, I can't fellowship with you because you speak in tongues. Let me just ask you, how many believe that and again, this is a right or wrong. It's, don't, don't be ashamed of it, though. And I'm not going to say you're wrong, you know, in this. But how many believe that speaking in tongues is an essential doctrine? Anybody? How many believe that speaking in tongues is a non-essential doctrine? Yeah. We could all, so, but, but are there people that make it an essential doctrine? They go, yes. Speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. You go, Wow. Even in a lot of Assembly of God churches, I'd say, that believe that. that That's their tenet of faith. They don't believe it, really. They don't practice it. But that's the tenet of faith within the Assemblies of God. The initial evidence of the baptism with the Holy Spirit is speaking in other tongues. And you can go to any Assembly of God church and you'll find people that don't speak in other tongues. And you go, so do they not have the Holy Spirit? You go, well, it's a non-essential doctrine. But people divide over it. They split hairs over it. I like the message, you know, Bible, it translates Romans 14 like this. It says, welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way that you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions, but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. Yeah. And so Paul's going to, you know, share like I said, things that are non-essential. He says, you know, it's going to be the day of the week. It's going to be the food that you eat. You know, and we, and we think about, you know, these things that happen, you know, that little things, I mean, that could become big things that literally can split, you know, a church over. You know, it was Augustine. He probably summed up, you know, what the Apostle Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 14 and 15 when he said this. Remember this, most of you know this quote. In essentials, what is it? Unity. In non-essentials, Liberty. And in all things, charity. I mean, that, that really encapsulates everything that Paul is wanting to communicate with us. So what is he saying there again? Look at verse 1. Accept other believers who are weak in the faith. And we probably need to define some terms here when we think about this as we, we dive into this. What does Paul mean when, he, when he's talking about weak here? Now, he doesn't mean weak in strength. Like I always, when I think of weak and strengthen that, you know, because it depends on who you ask. Like, well, they're weak in their faith. You, how do you determine that? It's not like weightlifting, you know. I remember one time uh, we were at a marriage retreat in Hawaii, and uh, I went down to the gym in the morning, and Larry and Mona were in there, and they were working out. And Larry had, you know, like Larry, Larry had like, you know, own all the 45 pound plates and the whole thing on the thing. And he's lifting. And then Mona and I'm watching, I'm thinking, well, Mona's not going to lift this. Well, Mona takes the 45 pound plate off and she goes, Oh, Larry, this is heavy. And she's going like this with it. 
it's heavy, Larry. And, and I'm just laughing. So is Larry. It's like, she doesn't know what heavy is. So don't, 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 don't ask her what weak is. She would have no, no clue or concept. But he's not talking about strength and weakness here. And what is he talking about? Is he talking about moral weakness? Is he talking about character? You know, what, what is he talking about? He's talking about spiritual weakness. And what do we mean by, by spiritual weakness? And, it, and it's important that, you know, that as we look at this, we want to make sure that you know, we understand it. Because when you think about spiritual weakness, it'd be the person who what? Who has doubt? Yeah. That'd be good. Who lacks complete faith and hope and trust in what Jesus did on the cross. Amen. It's like, you know, people go, ah, you know, and we've all met people. Maybe we've come out of that a little bit. I think, you know, I, maybe to a certain degree, we all do when we come to faith. You know, it's like, yeah, I, I believe Jesus died for me, but I believe, you know, it's like people go, but I got to look at all the, the, and I call them cults. I call Mormonism a cult. I call Jehovah Witness a cult um, that go, it's, and, you know, as a Christian, as a believer, as someone who believes in Christ, remember what, what's the formula? Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Christ alone, right? Now, there are some believe that, ah, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I believe in it works too. I believe we got to, because if we don't, and you go, well, if that was the case, you go, how would you know if you ever did enough works? And who would determine that? And for the Jehovah Witness, they go, well, God does. And you go, so you don't have any security that if you died right now, you'd go to heaven. Like, no, that is so sad. So sad. But there's other things that, that twist that off with regard to, it's not that they're, they, they're that's the only misunderstanding of, of scripture. And I'll get into that when I talk about what are the essentials. But Jesus plus nothing. And so, like I said, Paul's not talking about somebody who's morally weak, who struggles, you know, with sin. And he's not talking about someone who is weak in their character that, you know, when things, you know, happen, they're just not willing to stand up, you know, for the Christian faith or they just, they crumble. You know, he's, he's talking about somebody who won't accept the gospel, the simple gospel truth that Jesus came, he lived, he died, and he rose again for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we do that, the opposite of doubt would be what would be faith. For those of us that place our hope, our trust, our faith, we understand salvation is what? It always has been and always will be. It's a gift from God. It cannot be earned. It is not deserved. It is a gift that God gives to us when we place our hope and our trust in him. And there's many people that have done that. I believe the majority, probably everybody in here, you've done that. But there's many people in the world today and in the church world in particular who hasn't. And so, you know, the, the weak person, you know, you could say has, I love that expression, you know, keep the main thing the main thing, is they've lost sight of the main thing. And they started focusing on the peripheral. You know, they started that old expression, they're majoring on what? The minors again. And, that, and that's a very, very dangerous thing. And so when I think about, you know, the Christian faith, what are the things, and I want you to think about this for a second. I'm going to give you a list of about eight that I've got here in my notes, but I want you to think about it on your own for just a second. What are the essentials? You don't need to say it out loud, but what are the essentials of the faith? What are, and I like to put it this way, what are the hills to die on? 
it's why I can say I, I know that the Mormons beliefs, it, it's a cult. It's not, it's not a Christian faith based on the essentials of Christian doctrine. If you don't believe that Jesus is God and that he was always God, then you go, you don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. The deity of, of Jesus Christ is an essential doctrine. Okay. And if you don't believe that Jesus is God's son, you know, as the Jehovah witness in that regard, um, as God, and you go, they don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ either. And you go, then, uh, okay, we, we've got a, a problem. That is a hill to die on. That's where you go, well, you know what? Um, we're going to have to agree to disagree here. Um, but I'm not going to go, but, oh, I just see that, yes, you, you're okay. You know, because if, if you don't change that belief, the Bible says, and again, and it's not condemning them. It's reasoning with them from the scriptures. Hey, let me show you what the Bible says, though. And you'll find sometimes that's why they don't want to have a discussion about the Bible. They'll talk about the Watchtower, and they'll talk about the Book of Mormon, right? But to go back to God's Word, because I can use the King James Version. It doesn't matter to me. Just bring whatever Bible you're going to bring. Even the New World Translation that Jehovah Witness, there's enough verses they couldn't mess up in it that will substantiate the truth of the Gospel. So it's just knowing where to look. And so taking them and go, well, what, what did... What did God mean by this? And what do you mean by this? And then, oh, I got to go talk to, uh, you know, someone else as opposed to what is the scripture teaching them at that point? I like that expression, you know, it says, I would rather be divided by truth than united by a lie. One of the problems in the church today is we're trying to find ways to hold hands with everybody. And we can't. And we shouldn't. Jesus didn't. And that's who we should be following. So what are the essentials? I'm just going to just blow through this list. If you want, you can get my notes and you can look at it and read it for yourself. The deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus, John 10, 30 said, I and the Father are one. Two, salvation by grace, right? It's a gift, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Uh, three, salvation through Christ alone. You know, Acts 4, 2, or excuse me, 4, 12 tells us, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which they must be saved, Okay. Jesus, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except what? Through me. You go, you didn't say it. I didn't say it. We just repeated it. Jesus said it himself. Number four, the resurrection of Christ. I like what Paul said. He just lays out the simple gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then he says, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Okay? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what separates Christianity from every other religion, right? Every other religious leader is where today? In the grave. There's only one, only one who is risen, and that's Jesus Christ. Who do you want to follow? A risen Savior and a living Lord or somebody who's, you know, sawdust or, you know, by this time they're, they're dust. Number five, the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, you know, Paul lays it out. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Again, it's what the Bible teaches, what the Bible says. That's the essence of the gospel. Six, monotheism. What is that? There's one God, okay? Not three gods, not multiple gods. God said it himself, Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. And then number seven, the Holy Trinity, okay? You're not going to find a, a, a single passage in the sense that says Trinity in it, but the entirety of scripture will point to it. You know, matter of fact, you think of 
passage just off the top of my head, you know, Matthew you know, 28, Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in what? He didn't say the names of, he said the name of, singular, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, personalities, but one in essence and who they are, God. And, and that trips so many people up. And then the last, you know, we mentioned it earlier, faith, because it's faith that binds everything together. We're not saved by works, we're saved by faith. You know, Hebrews 11, you know, verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things or evidence of things not seen. And then uh, verse uh, 6 of Hebrews 11 as well, and without faith, what? It's impossible to please God for he or she, whoever comes to God must what? Believe that he is. That he's what? That he's God. And he's a rewarder of those who what? Who diligently seek him. Faith. So important. Those are the essentials. So then you think, you know, what are the non-essentials? You know, and, and don't get me wrong here. Don't, don't judge me, okay, based on what I'm about, about to say. These things, it's not, I'm not saying they're not important. What I'm saying is they're not essential to your salvation. So we need to be careful not to major on the minor. So here's some non-essentials that, you know, I was thinking, okay, Paul says what, what to eat or what not to eat, what day to worship on, you know, um, drinking alcohol, uh, consuming alcohol, uh, speaking in tongues. Uh, sometimes if you drink a lot of alcohol, you will speak in tongues. Uh, um, you know, going to movies, you ever, you ever get nailed with that one? You know, I have a bunch of friends, you know, cause I, Lee and I, we went to an assembly of God church for a number of years. And, and, uh, you know, if you wanted to go to the movie, you went out of town, you know, cause you didn't want your friends to see it. You know, it's like, or watching an R rated movie. Like we, even when we had the passion of the Christ, we were, I can't watch it. It's R rated. I go, okay, well, that, I get that. That's your conviction. I like, it's a good conviction. The rapture of the church. It's non-essential. You know, one of my favorite pastors, you know, he's no longer in the ministry, but he would say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm pre-trib. I'm, I believe in the rapture, you know, and, uh, you know, and I can, you know, my position is the best one. He goes, because I can always change my mind. <laughs> always like that. He's like, I can become mid-trib. I can become post-trib, you know, but if you guys, you know, if we get taken and you're post, what are you going to do then? You know, I always like that. And it's probably the best way to handle it. Um, the millennial kingdom. The thousand years, is it pre, pre-millennial, post-millennial? Has Jesus come back, then it's the millennial kingdom. The Catholic Church believes right now we're in the millennial kingdom, okay? I don't agree with that. You know, it's like Pastor Chuck would say, he goes, if this is the millennial kingdom, he said, I just want you to know that, you know, the chain on, on Satan is too long. He's got way too much of power and authority. This is not peace on earth, okay? Uh, the age of the earth, people argue it all the time, right? It's 10,000 years. Oh, it's 200 million. You find Christians, they're just, people just start getting, you know, all up in it. You know, it's like, it's non-essential. I'm not saying that these things aren't important. Tattoos and body piercings, right? You know, it's like, oh my gosh, can you cover that thing up? Well, I'd have to put a, a sheet over my head then. That'll create a whole nother problem, you know. <laughs> Communion with bread that's unleavened or not as leavened. You know, you didn't have, you know, unleavened bread. It's like, oh, you know, women wearing pants or makeup, you know. I'm not going to tell you what Joe Foch used to say, but, you know, something about, you know, even an old bar needs paint every once in a while, you know. <laughs> Joe Foch. 
Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. Keep those cards and letters going. Galatians, you know, chapter three, you know, verses 24 and 25, you know, Paul put it like this. He said, therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. And, you know, it's one of the things that it's important for us to understand that, you know, oftentimes people come to Christ and they, they receive him by faith. And then the longer they start to walk with him, they start putting themselves under bondage thinking that that's the way you become more spiritual, you know, and, and it's a sad thing, um, but it's a reality. And I think in all of our lives, you know, it's, it's there and we have to work through it and God in his grace and the love and the care, you know, of other believers through, you know, uh, just good teaching and, and just admonishment and just loving us through it that, you know, and modeling it, you know, that you go, Oh, I see. Cause everybody, everybody wants a better way, you know, everybody's looking, but we don't necessarily want to ask. And like I said, we definitely don't want to, you know, cram down our throat every single day of the week. And that's what Paul is referring to here is that learn how to just accept people. How, how many, by a show of hands, and I want you to raise your hand to this. How many would find it in your own life? It's difficult to change yourself. Would you agree with that? It's difficult to change yourself. And if, and, and if you agree with that, then is it more difficult than to change other people? If I can't even change myself, why am I getting so worried about trying to change you? And we do. And sometimes that's the hypocrisy of it, right? Because I'm frustrated with myself because of my inability to change myself. And so I think, well, maybe I can change you. You know, parents do that all the time, right? We live vicariously through our kids. You know, I did this, so I'm going to do this through you. It's like, oh, man. Instead of just loving them and accepting them, modeling, like I said, a faith that's real. And so, you know, the interesting thing in this text, if there's anything funny about it, is it's the legalistic believer who thinks they're the strong one. And Paul's going, they're the weaker one. See, because they believe they can only go to church on this day. That doesn't make them strong. That makes them weak. Oh, they can only eat this or they can't eat this. Can you imagine the first time that somebody handed the apostle Paul a ham sandwich? You know, I mean, as a kosher Jew, think about this. I mean, can you imagine what had to be like, you know, because you, we know with Peter, right? Because Peter, remember, Peter's looking, he's like, oh, no, Lord, no, no. We get, we get it with Peter, but we don't hear it with Paul. So I got a picture of Paul, you know, who was, was way more, way more solid in his Jewish faith than Peter ever hoped to be, right? Paul probably look at that thing. He's like, <laughs> you know. I mean, I got to believe that Paul struggled a little bit, you know, and then, but then the, then the, you know, the, you always see those, those like, aha, uh-huh, you know, he bit it and he went, oh man. And then the first time he ever had a rib, a spare rib. Oh man. Yeah. You know, he was preaching grace from that moment on, you know, in life. It was like, oh, so you think, why is the weak believer you know, why is it that the weak believer is the legalistic one? That, that's really the question. Why is it that the weak believer is the legalistic one? And pretty plain and simple, it takes more faith to believe that Jesus is enough. Isn't that the truth? And you can't add anything to it. Man, it takes a lot of faith. to. Be- they go, really? You put all your eggs into the Jesus basket? Yes. Yes. And I'm leaving them there. 
And, and that's what Paul is saying. So if you want to measure your faith, he says, measure it by how much you believe Jesus is enough in any area you know, of your life. And the people that are weak in their faith, the ones that don't believe Jesus is enough. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And you go, and it comes across like they're so strong, right? No, but it's, it's weak is what Paul's saying. The strong are the ones that are just taking God at his word. What's that bumper sticker again? You know, God said it, that settles it. And you just go, that's it. I, I get it. If you think works are going to help you, you know, let me just remind you, you know, Isaiah, Isaiah 64, 6, probably comes to all of our minds. We are all infected and pure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing, he said, but what? Filthy rags. Our works are like filthy rags before God. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation or it's nothing at all. And so Paul, you know, is, is reminding us as well here, you know, you can't control what people say about you, but you can control how you respond to them. Amen. And, and that's something that we have to take to heart. I mean, people are going to challenge you. They're going to question you. The key is don't fight reason, reason with people. And again, and we're not reasoning with them to conform them. We reason with them to do what? To transform them. Goes back to Romans 12. What does it say? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. See, this is where we need to spend a lot more time quoting scripture than we do every other thing. Because God's word is what? It's living. It's active. And it, his word tells us that it doesn't return void. Some people just, they talk about all kinds of things. And you go, you'll never lead anybody to Jesus without the word of God. It's not us and, you know, it's not eloquence. It's, it's not, you know, it's the word of God transforms. The word of God changes. So as we reason with people, we go, this is what, this is what God's word says. So we love people. We accept them. We extend a hand of fellowship to them. Verse two goes on. It says, for uh, instance, as one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believes uh, with a sensitive conscience that they will eat only vegetables. He's not saying that, you know, being a vegetarian is the better way. Okay. But if that's what they believe, he goes, then, Hey, more meat for you. Right. I mean, that's kind of how you need to look at it. I mean, you know, you start figuring out a salad bar right away. You know, you go to a salad bar. What's the very first thing in the salad bar? Lettuce. Right. And what do they want you to do? Pile that lettuce on. Right. They love it when you pile lettuce on. Cause what does that mean? Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. You make lettuce dessert. That's what you do. You go right to the meat. That, that's where, no. It, it's just whatever, whatever works. The key is be convicted, Paul's saying, in, in your own heart and mind. Trust Jesus. You know, with regard to days, you, know, you think in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, it says, So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Okay? I mean, so I, I, think, I think you get it. You know, that's what I was sharing with you in Acts chapter 10. You know, Peter's going... Lord, and, and, and God told Peter, he said, you know, what, what God is, is, is clean, don't you what? Don't you call unclean. It's all good. It's all good. And yet, it, like I said, it's, it's tough for some people. Verse 3 goes on, it says, those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Again, we're not talking about sin. 
This isn't sin. This is conviction. And we need to remember that because we challenge people in their convictions as opposed to going, man, I'm happy. If that's what you believe. And again, and we see it in scripture. It's a non-essential thing. You know, you go more power to you in that. You know, I wouldn't do that. And you go, cause man, I found out ham is really good. Ribs are even better, you know? And you go for me, you go, you might, you might not like them. You go, but Hey, I just, you know, I'd never had them either. And I was, and that's your, what you're testifying. We overcome the accuser by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony. You go, you share your testimony, but you're not going, but you need to do this. And this is what a lot of believers do. See, you're weak in your faith. You know, at that point, God would be going, you're the one who's weak because you're the one who's what? Trying to win the argument. Instead of win your brother, you're trying to win an argument. You turn it into a debate. And you go, and it's on a, a non-essential matter. Because don't, don't go there. I like in 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 31, Paul says this. He says, you say, I am allowed to do anything. He says, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it. If someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever's offered to you without raising questions of conscience. Can you imagine that? You know, you're a Jewish person, you're inviting it's ham, you know, you go, and people do it. But suppose someone tells you this meat was offered to an idol. Don't eat it out of, of consideration for conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience to you, but it is for the other person. That's just when you're eating with that person, okay? If they're not with you, you're, you're not stumbling anybody, you're not hurting anybody. But it's that you, what you're doing is if they're with you, you're preferring them. That, that's what we're called to do, right? Preferring others better than ourselves. Whether we like it or not, you're going, but that's my favorite. Okay, well, we're having carrot sticks. Okay, all right. And you go, when is that? You go, I think, honey, didn't, I'm trying to think. Did we ever keep snacks in the glove box? You go, or somebody was telling me, I don't know if we did it or somebody, they go, yeah, we go to eat at somebody's house and, and they always fix stuff that was really weird that you just weren't going to eat. You know, you just knew, I mean, you you take a bite of it and go, oh man, just, I don't know, because it just didn't like it, right? And then have, and I think it was someone told me, they go, man, I, whenever I go, they go, then I just kept something in my glove box. And when I got in my car, they're out there, <laughs> got a thing of beef jerky, you know, and stuff or whatever, you know, in their car. But he says, for why should my freedom, he says, be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You know, again, so he's saying those who don't eat certain foods, you know, aren't to condemn those that do. So it works both ways. If you feel like it's a freedom, you shouldn't just push it on people that, yeah, you should be free to eat this. And if you don't feel it, shouldn't, you shouldn't be going, hey, you're wrong because you do. You know, this, these are the debates that go so back and forth. And, and, he, and Paul answers, why should we do it? Because he answers in verse three, he says, because God has accepted them. It's not sin. It's not sinful here, okay? Verse four goes on and says, who are you then to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. Again, they're his kids, not yours. Okay. 
You know, it's like Matthew 7, you know, do not judge others and you will not be judged. And again, what he's not saying here is don't practice discernment, okay? We need discernment. We, that discernment comes from where? God. We need heavenly discernment that comes from his word, you know, that, that comes down from heaven, that, that ministers to us. We have the Holy Spirit that lives within us. There are hills, like I said, to die on in the Christian faith and make sure, you know, that, that you're picking the right hills to die on. You know, one of the easiest habits, you know, for us to acquire, you know, is that of criticism. You know, I mean, it's just simple in our society. We think, you know, that because we have the right to vote that, you know, we get to say whatever we want to say. You know, sometimes those you know, Proverbs says it's better to be considered a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. That's all I can tell you that, you know, don't be a, a sin sniffer. You know, you know, any sin sniffers in your life? <laughs> they just want, I think it's sinful, it's sinful, you know. No, and you, just when they, you meet a sin sniffer, just send them, text them 1 Corinthians 13. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Yeah. 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 I always loved it. You know, as a youth pastor, when kids would fall in love with Jesus, I remember going down to Mexico one time and, and, um, the kids were ministering to each other and they were talking about, you, you shouldn't listen to, when you get saved. You got to get rid of all your, your devil music. Well, listen, yeah. What's devil music? Well, anything that's not Christian. Are you sure about that? And they convinced this kid and he had a big old collection. And, and I'm looking in the rear view mirror and I see these things going. He's throwing all of his CDs out of the, out of the van going down the road. I'm like, hey, hey, I don't have a problem. I don't want a $500 fine, you know, for you littering out the side of the, out, let's just wait. And so we got to Mexico and they, they got a bonfire that night. They took all their stuff. It wasn't just that, but all their stuff. And they burnt it all up, right? And I had a friend, he, he went to this church and, and, and he, he was pretty well off and, and he would buy these big screen TVs, but they were the ones that came in the cabinet, right? Had the three like colors behind it and you push that thing in. And uh, he got really convicted that he was watching too much TV. And I was doing youth ministry at that time. So he calls me, he says, hey, Mike, he says, would you like uh, this TV for the youth room? And I'm like, why? And he goes, hey, I go, you just got it. Cause I, he's a friend of mine. And he goes, yeah, I'm just convicted that, you know, I shouldn't have this. And I go, so you want to do what with it? He goes, oh, I want to get rid of it. I go, sure, bring it down here. I don't have any conviction over that. So he brings it to the church. We got this awesome TV. So about six months later, what does he do? Goes out and buys another one because he's not convicted any longer. He's, he's freed up. And then about a year later, guess what? He gets convicted again. I get another TV. We got matching TVs in the youth room there. You know, I'm like, bring it on, Lord. No, <laughs> I'm trying to minister to him. Hey, man, you don't have to keep giving me. But, you know, I really like your car. <laughs> I mean, you have nice stuff, right? Yeah, watch you're wearing, you know. Yeah, you know. But no, and the thing is, we want to get people freed up, amen? That's what it's all about, that your salvation is not contingent on any of those things. It's on what you do with Jesus Christ. Verse five goes on. It says, in the same way, some think one day is more holy than another, while others think every day is alike. You should each, and there's the key to the whole thing, be fully convinced and choose, you know, what is acceptable. And, you know, then you look at, um, you know, in this, in verse five, he says, you know, when thinking about being convinced, you know, whichever day you choose is acceptable. And then, and I love, you know, in verse six, he says, and those who worship the Lord on a special day, do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so on 
to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. So do you see the key in this whole thing? Both sides of the coin here are wanting to do what? They want to please God. And we forget that. And God you know, would remind us today, you know, is they're both seeking to please the Lord and give thanks to God. And so Paul's saying, you know, as long as your heart's pure and your motives are pure, that it lines up biblically, you know, in your own conscience there, according to scripture, then, you know, then do it if you have that conviction. And, and I love, again, going back to what, you know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, he said, you know, all things are lawful, right? He said for me, he says, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, he says, but not all things edify. And I want you to think about that as we, as we close and prepare for communion here. I'll invite the worship team, they can come out. And, uh, but here, here's a couple things to ask yourself. You know, when we look at this chapter and we continue to look at it in the, in the days ahead, first thing is, you know, ask yourself, does it help me? Is whatever that non-essential thing that you're doing in your life that you, don't, that you feel that, hey, this is okay for me to do, just ask yourself, is this helping me? Okay. And, and if you can say, you know, yeah, this is, this is something that's helping me. And what I mean by helping you, is it helping you get closer to Jesus? And if it's helping you get closer to Jesus, then I would encourage you, you know, do it. And then the second thing to consider is, is doing what you do. Does it, does it hurt you? If you continued on, because like Paul's saying, all things are lawful, right? But not all things are profitable. And this is one of the reasons I always, you know, people go, hey, what's your stance, you know, on, on alcohol? And I go, you know, I'm, I've been around alcoholics my whole life. You know, I have family members, you know, and, I, you know, I didn't even know my grandpa was an alcoholic. When my, when my grandfather passed away, they said, you know, you know, your grandpa was an alcoholic. And I said, I never saw a grandpa drunk. And my dad looks at me and he goes, Michael, he said, you never saw him sober. Like, and I, so I, you know, I go, hey, uh, okay. Who let me drive in the car from Oregon to Bakersfield with the drunk man? Like that, you know, I told them that they're like, they're all laughing. They go, well, he was a, like, okay, yeah. But, you know, that one of the things is because when you're talking about things that will alter um, your ability to reason, because I just watch it with people. See, the, one of the things about alcohol that, that's so amazing is that uh, your body builds up a resistance to it. So that one drink, you know, that people used to like, and, and they, if, they'll, if they're honest, and I've, you know, you'll never meet an honest drunk in the, in the truest sense. But, but if they're honest, they go, yeah, man, I used to have one drink and, and what did it do? You go, it, it took the edge off, made me feel good. You go, but after a year or so, one drink didn't do it, right? Then I needed two. And then two drinks didn't do it. If you keep doing it and you go, and the next thing you know, what? You have an addiction. I get it. I don't say that in condemnation. I say that, you know, that, that's a non-essential but it's one of those things when I put, look at that right there and I go, I've never seen it not hurt somebody. Never. Eventually it hurts, whether it's liquid courage and you say the wrong things because you're inebriated. You know, you get in a car and you hurt yourself or you hurt somebody else or you kill somebody else. I mean, there's just so many things. But ask yourself, does it, does it hurt me? And then, like I said, the last thing, you know, when you, you think about, you know, that is, does it edify other people? Does it edify my doing this? Does it, does it edify other people? And if it doesn't, those are things to prayerfully consider. And it's a great you know, thing going into communion because obviously that's what we're supposed to do on communion Sundays and times that we receive communion is 
to examine ourselves and go, am I in the faith? Am I really trusting Jesus? Or, you know, is it, you know, Jesus plus, you know, all these non-essential things, you know, that, that are in my life. And to just today, you know, is to look at those things and say, God, if it's not pleasing to you, and if it's not helping me get closer to you, and it really is hurting me, and it's not edifying other people, then, you know, just like we were singing in worship, then take, offer those things to God today. Give this to him. That's what Jesus came and lived and died for. Amen? That we would know that. And so I'll invite those that will pass out the, the elements of communion to come up, and we'll, um, we'll pray. And you just receive, you know, communion during this, as we're worshiping in song, is just receive the elements yourself today. Just take that, that bread, and as you're holding your hand, be reminded that it's his body broken for you. And you take that cup, be reminded that, again, that cup represents, you know, his blood that was shed for you. You're forgiven because of Jesus. Forgiven because of Jesus. You can leave here today free in Jesus, completely forgiven. And not because of anything you've ever done, but because of what he did for you. And the best news of all, like I said, I'd love to remind you every time we receive communion, is wherever you go, he goes with you. He said, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Go with God. Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the conviction, Lord, in our hearts. There are so many things that you want to change. You love us just like we are, but you love us too much to leave us the way we are. So, Lord, help us to be open to what you have for us. Help us to be open to what the Spirit would desire to do. Lord, we, we close out the, this book of Romans just talking about what love looks like on so many different levels and different ways. And it all begins with you. Us loving you and you pouring out your love in us so that Lord, it, it touches other people's lives. And so, Lord, help us not to block the flow. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for just the surety that we have because of you. We bless you. We love you today as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.